Welcome to Discovering Responsible Wealth. This is your host, Frank Congelos. Pleasure to be with you this week. You know, over the course of the last month, we've been dealing with different topics of financial wellness. Uh, we got onto the three R's of finance, which we're going to talk about in a minute. But before I get into that, um, I'd like to introduce, you know, my guest host, you know, my partner over at CNA Financial Group, David Suki. David, pleasure to have you on the show today. Morning, Frank. It's always been great to be here. So, you know, over the last little bit, as I mentioned before, last month or so, we've been talking about finance. We've been talking about money. And we've gone through what I've been talking about, the three R's. And we hit the first two R's, which is we spoke about rates of return. And we talked about how to get rates of return, where they come from. We talked a little bit about stocks and bonds and so forth and money markets and really how those vehicles work a little bit. Then we were talking about rates of saving. In fact, we talk, started about rate of saving, you know, rate of accumulation, which is the more that you can save, the better, you know, always. And what we didn't get into yet is what we refer to as rate of distribution, which is how money is distributed. And when we look at this, we're looking at this whole financial picture really being a good steward of everything that you do in your life, making prudent decisions. Um, you know, I've been saying over the last few shows of know the state of your flocks, you know, scriptural, you know, so that you know yep. where you stand, know what you're doing. And so as we start talking about rate of distribution, for our listeners and for everybody who's out there, at some point or another, here's what's going to happen. Your cash flow, which is what you earn today, okay, is going to stop. And when that cash flow stops because you retired or a life event occurred, at that point, whatever you've accumulated in your assets is what's going to have to carry you for the rest of your life. And then the question is, is how do you distribute those assets over a period of time without running out of money? And so, if, you know, one of the key questions that I ask everyone, and I'll kid around, I'll say to Dave, is, Dave, can you tell me how long you're going to live? Yeah. <laughs> we'd, like to, we'd like to know that answer, Frank. No, we don't. We don't know how long we're going to really live. So when we think in terms of the fact that we don't know how long we're going to live, every day's a gift, and it makes it very hard then, because we don't know that answer, to really plan for how do you distribute your wealth. So as an example, if I had $500,000 accumulated by the time I retire, and I knew that I'd be here for 10 years, well, I knew that I'd be able to take out about $50,000 a year, give or take a little bit of interest, right. and it would work out perfectly. Yep. However, if I stopped working at 65 or 67, and I could be here for 10 years or 20 years or 30 years, or you know, as we mentioned on a couple of previous shows, we were talking about Willard Scott, you know, where he would sit there and he said, okay, Mary Smith became 100 today, and he yeah. used to have a list with two names on it. Now he's got a list with, you know, 22, 22 names, names on it or yeah, they need two segments, it. yeah. So what happens is, is the fact that we recognize that we're going to live a long time, we need to be prudent and good sorts of the gifts in our life and our finances to make sure that we're, we're doing the right thing. Well, and Frank, I use this uh, context sometimes with, with clients, and they say, you know, the 65 is the new 75. And it, it's interesting, right? You say 50s the new 40, or we've heard, you know, 60s yeah. the new 50. You've but got to explain that one to me. I was picturing you're it the other way, the other way right? The and the and really what it is is when you ask people, and we do this every day, all day, when do you think you'd like to retire? We've been so ingrained to say, oh, I like 65. And sometimes you ask, well, where did that come from? Well, isn't that the age that everyone retires? Right. And really that was maybe a 30 years ago conversation. Because people were back then were thinking, well, if I retire at 65, 
my parents might have lived to 70, 75. Maybe I make it past them to 80. So, yeah, 15, 20 years in retirement sounded like, yeah, that's probably common. Nowadays, that's not the case. It might be 90, 95. So people are starting to figure out, well, do I have enough money? Do I need to stay in the workforce? Maybe. And when they start having these conversations, you're learning that either one of two things is occurring. They're really taking care of it earlier or they're realizing that I can't retire at 65. Maybe I got to bump that expectation back if they want to have a nice quality of life like they've been having. Absolutely. And David, it's a great point. And I remember, you know, over the last few weeks when we've been going through our different shows and we we're talking about, you know, the benefits of sometimes deferring Social Security that, you know, for some of us, like for me, Social Security age is more like 67. You know, for you, Dave, who's younger than me, you know, it's probably going to be more like 69, yeah. 70. And so the government's recognizing that and pushing that back. And then it, that's normal retirement age for a lot of people. So that normal retirement age is getting pushed back because they know that the probabilities we're going to be in retirement for a long time. That's right. Dave, do you remember we had a gentleman come to our office once uh, named John Curry out of Florida, and he would sit here with a tape measure. And, you know, for our listeners, if you can kind of envision this picture, he would go on the tape measure and he would go, how old are you today? Let's go to that on the tape measure. And he would go, okay, I'm 40 years old. He'd go, okay, go to the 40. And then he would go, okay, now that you're 40 and you're, you're not, your hand on the 40, you know, hold that in that hand, how long are you going to work? And then it's like, okay, 65. 65. And you yep. look at, boy, it's not that long a period of time. And then he'd say, okay, now let's move the tape down a little bit. And he'd say, now hold the 65 in your hand. And he goes, how long do you think you're going to live? And when he shows that tape that it goes out to 120 because it's, you know, a 10-foot tape and he's showing it and he goes, you know, life experience, you know, is you could be here till 120, okay? And there's a lot more people living to 100. He goes, look at how many years that you could be in retirement. It's a lot of yeah. years. My, um, my third child was just born, as you know, right? So she, her life expectancy, Frank, is over 100 years old. Yes, you know, doctors have told me I always bring it up. So, what do you think the child? They say, "Oh, it's easily," and they use the word "it's easily going to be a hundred plus." It's you amazing. know, and that's like wow, right? I mean, you just you shake your head. So sometimes with with clients and people, their expectation of wow, well, 80, 80, 85 would be great, but the context of that sometimes is they think they're not feeling well at those ages. See, when you're feeling well at those ages, because you've seen people that are, still live. they they look like 65-year-olds. They, yes. don't, they don't act like eight, what we would typically think an 85 or even 90-year-old I've seen that's like really still active, playing golf, fishing, going to see their grandkids and going to dinners and stuff. They're really still having a decent life as long as they're healthy. I mean, that that's really the key. Well, it's funny when you're saying that is uh, we just celebrated uh, – my wife, we just had a surprise birthday party for her, you know, and we were saying it was, you know, an anniversary of her 39th or 49th birthday because we don't say the numbers. <laughs> so in doing that, it was interesting as my daughter, who, you know, got married, you know, about a year and a half ago, her husband's grandfather came in, okay? He came down, and he's 94 years old. He still drives. He was bowling up until recently, okay, yeah. and living Great. a God very bless. active you know, life at the age of 94. I have a client of mine uh, who's a developer who's 93. Uh, his wife passed away about two years ago, and to stay, you know, in shape, he goes ballroom dancing every day. <laughs> and he told me, he goes, Frank, you don't know what type of cardio workout this is. Yeah. And it's one of those of when you see that, that healthy and so forth is we're going to be here a long time. 
And the biggest concern of you know a retired person is, what do you hear, Dave? Am I going to outlive my money? That's Am I going to be okay? And they never – so I always say this. They never – it's rare, Frank, me and you have ever seen a client actually outlive their money because humans – Behave, human behavior doesn't allow them to do it, right? Yes. You see people, you used to call it the hoarding, right? You yes. call it, you write about it. Yeah. People start to hoard. They, they grab a hold of those checkbooks and pocketbooks tight. They live in fear. That's right. So they, they sacrifice to make sure they're okay. That's what actually occurs typically. They don't just, you know, run out of money and say, oh, what do I do tomorrow? Um, and that's usually unfulfilling for them. They, didn't, they don't live it out the way they kind of probably envisioned. That's a great point. So with that in mind, let's start talking about what somebody's options are because I believe that there's some good information on the marketplace that people are hearing, and then I believe there's a whole lot of misleading information on the marketplace where people who are nearing retirement or at retirement that they become very vulnerable to, and the reason being is because sometimes we hear what we want to hear and we don't really understand how sophisticated some products are that are on the market may be. Yeah. So I'm going to start with just some of the simple things that are out there as we talk about distribution. Um, all of our listeners are aware of the fact that, you know what, I can have my money in CDs. When I have my money in CDs, my principal is safe, but, you know, I can't make, you know, anything on my money today in the CD. I'm making 1% or 2%. So not real exciting that that rate of distribution, if I'm trying to preserve my principal or if I have fear of running out of money, I'm living off 1%, 2%. Now, over the last several years, stocks, which we've explained in the past, which are forms of ownership in companies, a form of equity, stocks that are dividend-paying have been in favor. And the idea behind that is because I can own a stock in a company with a 2 or a 3 or 4% dividend rate, and hopefully you know, the value of the stock over a period of time may appreciate. Thus, it would give me some um, inflation protection over a period of time, plus I get some yield out of it. So stocks have worked. For some, real estate has worked, mm-hmm. you know, where I can own real estate and get rental income, things of that nature, and the understanding of over a period of time, again, the rental income come, come up, so I got some you know, um, opportunity there as far as inflation. But the downside of real estate is I call it kind of the working interest rate. I got to work sometimes to get the interest rate, which is I got to keep up with you know the roof is going, the person you know uh, trashed my house. So if you're fortunate and you know how to do that, it's great. But if you don't, you know, at the retirement age, it's not the time that necessarily you want to get into it. So I'm going to deal with the next one, which is very prevalent. And then Dave will go into, you know, the one after that, which is we're talking about bonds. Uh, Bonds over the years have always been the way that people keep their wealth. So as an example, you would hear, well, you made your money in stocks or you made your money in business or you made money here. But then you kept your money and you preserved your wealth. In bonds. The challenge with that we've seen with bonds over the years is the fact that interest rates have been so low that it's been hard to get good returns on bonds. So the education for all of our listeners is as it relates to bonds, I always say if it sounds too good to be true, sometimes it is. Know what you're buying because here's what the, the allure is of a bond. If you hear that it's a very high yield on a bond, it means one of a couple of things. First thing it means is it could be an issue with regard to quality, which means that there's a higher probability of default or something could happen, or you look at the ratings. So always look at your ratings. The second thing can be is that there could be a very long-term bond. You know, It could be 20 years or 30 years that you had to lock in in order to get that higher return. Or the other thing that happens when some people look, they'll look at the yield, but not necessarily the yield to maturity. Mm-hmm. 
which means that if I did that, I'm actually buying a bond at a premium, meaning that I found a bond. Look at this bond. It's paying 6%, and it's a good quality bond. But instead of paying, say, $100 for it, I'm paying $110 for it. So when I kind of look at that and then I go to get my money back when the bond matures, I didn't get 110 I got 100 So part of what I actually received was part of my principal back in that bond. Mm-hmm. So understand that when we're dealing with bonds, that's the challenge with that. So I tell you is understand that bond market, understand what you're doing with it. It comes down to time and to quality. And bonds typically are working in the world of yield. Mm-hmm. And then you also have to look at that yield to maturity as you're looking at that. So that's a little insight on the bonds. So, Dave, I'll let you take annuities a little bit. And, you know, one of the things that you know, we hear out there are, you know, annuities are really great options nowadays. And some of them are fantastic. So maybe start out with the most common. Well, that well we and say. things that get misrepresented sometimes too, Frank, right? So we see a lot of times clients owning annuity contracts you know, in their accumulation years. Right. It can be an expensive way to try to grow your money. We've seen that. Right. In the distribution years, which is what we're talking about, is a very viable option because of the offer that's that's on the table, which is this. If people um, don't understand how they work, there there's different variations of annuities. There's fixed. There's variable. Obviously, the, those two words change the type. And then there's things in, in the distribution stage that we call SPIAs, single premium immediate annuities. And those are, are becoming more popular in that space because they're offering better rates, better returns, because an individual can give up their capital. Okay, So there is an exchange that's made. They can give up some of their money in exchange for a higher yield, a higher interest rate per year. Right? It's kind of like a defined benefit pension. Right? Mm-hmm. Well, let's say I had f- that 500000 and I, I go to the CD world, I'm making 1% or 2%. I go to the bond yield, maybe it's 3 or 4 If I go into something like a SPIA, I might be able to yield six sevens right. on my money, but I'm giving up control of the asset it's for actually, that money. If we think about it, Dave, it's actually a distribution rate that I'm getting the interest and I'm getting my principal. And you get some of your principal back. And they're guaranteeing the flow to you for the rest of your life. They can guarantee to the rest of your spouse's life. Okay, or they you can set it up, you know, structure it that they guarantee it for a certain period of time, so that beneficiaries still would get some money. All right, so it's a bet. You're betting you're living. They're betting that they're, you know, um, not necessarily that you're dying, but that they're going to make out on the exchange as well. But it it's a certainty. So people like that. Okay, I can get a guaranteed income from this, and I don't have to worry about stocks and bonds fluctuating on me. The reality, you know, Dave, when we look at annuities like that is it's one of the only financial products that can guarantee income for life regardless of how long you live. Yeah. But in exchange for that, as you mentioned before, it sounds like you gave up control of the principal or you gave up the principal in exchange for that guaranteed payment for life. Yeah. And people that have pensions in their lives that still have them, Frank, they tend to get it right away. They're like, oh, this is like my pension. If I choose my life only option, I get a higher payment than if I choose a joint life option. Right. Yeah, same thing. It's the, it's the same type product. You know, it's just going, you're doing it privately versus through a public, you know, pension system. Very good. So let me um, touch a little bit on variable annuity. So, you know, what our favorite thing is, is, you know, we like variable annuities for distribution sometimes if it has that income benefit rider. Mm -hmm. However, it is a very expensive proposition many times for you to hold that product, which means that in a variable annuity, it's a way of staying in the market. So the money's still invested. It has opportunity to grow, but it can provide guaranteed income for life. So some of them um, can provide a 5% or 6% distribution rate. However, part of what that person's receiving 
is could be their principal unless it earned above that. But what they'll do with this rider that they'll put on it is they'll guarantee the payment for life. So even if you depleted your principal, they'll still pay. And in my opinion, a lot of them are really designed that you are going to receive your principal. And the reason being is because if I average 7% or 8% on my money and the fees in there are 3% or better on some, the reality is, is it's, you know, I'm only netting four. So if my distribution rates are fives or six or sevens, there's a high probability that I'm meeting up principal over a period of time. So as we're wrapping up today's show and we look at all the distribution options, distribution rate matters. Understanding what, if any, control of your principal you may have given up is relevant. You have to understand the product and it's how sophisticated it is. So for all of our listeners, you know, we thank you for being with us this week. Um, our guest today, co-host David Suki, with us. Dave, pleasure again, as always. Have a great this, weekend. Thank you. And this has been Frank Congelos. You've been listening to Discovering Responsible Wealth. For questions, write to us at the Institute of Responsible Wealth, 2431 Atlantic Avenue, Manasquan, New Jersey, 08736. Or email us at info at com. Thank you and have a blessed week.